Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another outstanding edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am your captain. Van Helsink, right here on uh, Tojinet and Pararex Radio. And with me, my co-host, the blonde bombshell herself, Ann Carrigan. Woohoo! You're the captain. Does that make me the co-pilot? Sure. Right? All I right! Made Steve, I made Steve a co-pilot last time, so I'm making you a co-pilot. That's fine with me. Unless you want to <laughs> be what, a stewardess. No. <laughs> I knew no. that would get you. <laughs> uh, it's a yep. flight attendant. What? No such yeah, thing stewardess, stewardess, stewardess anymore. Yes, they are. No, they are not. But anyways, yep. I, I am not waiting. I am not waiting on anybody. Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. So sexist. Oh. I'm sexist. So sexist. All right. Mm-hmm. No, stewardess. Anyway. Stewardess, so, sexist. Yes, it is. You are correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, anyways. Um, anyways. Yes, I had the great opportunity to be on a show called The Military X-Files, where I actually esconded with a couple of the co-hosts and had them on as guests, uh, because I found out they had were experts in subjects that I was trying to get on the show, so it worked out good. I, in the previous hour, in case you guys missed it, we had on Mac Maloney, who was uh, um, a ufologist and... Uh, well, he, he wrote a bunch of books, including uh, UFOs and Wartime. And uh, also, and tonight we have our guest, who is an expert on one of my intriguing favorite subjects, which is the Mothman. And he is Steve Watt. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Hi, Steve. Yeah. The, the only problem about being on your show is, like, they all go with, by code names, so, like, when I got emails and stuff, I was like totally screwed up. I didn't know who the hell I was. I had no clue who the hell I was talking to. Be honest. Well, I, I went through a couple of nicknames when uh, when Mac first started the show. He he said, "Well, you know, uh, actually, he had me on the first time talking about the Mothman because he was a fan of John Keel and had read the Mothman prophecy." So I went on as a guest, and then the, before you know it, I was kind of a correspondent doing reports every week. And he started out by saying, "You know, we we uh, we got to we we have." Uh, 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 weapons, uh, you know, like uh, deadly weapons for nicknames, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I thought, okay, it's your show. And uh, so I, originally I was stil- Stiletto Steve. Oh my oh, God! Really? Yeah. yeah okay. Oh but then, but see, yeah, I also I live. Nickname. So I live. <laughs> I live kind of east of Battle Creek, which of course is the cereal place. So mm-hmm. when when Mac would introduce me, he'd always say something about uh, the bowl of flakes or, or or Tony the Tiger or whatever. So after a few weeks, I said, you know, Mac, they, they're probably thinking I, I'm some guy we- wearing a Tony the Tiger T-shirt wearing stiletto high heels. <laughs> so so he's very he was compassionate, and he he changed my nickname to Switchblade. <laughs> Which is an ironic nickname because they don't allow me to handle sharp objects at all. Hey, man, who's Cobra Commander then? 
Cobra, Commander Cobra, is actually his moniker is because uh, uh, he actually uh, he's uh, ex-military, but he still does uh, contract work for the military. Oh, so he does he, yeah. he doesn't put his mug out there or his real name. Uh, oh, I took care of that tonight. I, it's but I know his real name, and for you know a little twenty bucks, maybe we could we could work out nope, something. Uh, nope. Uh, 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 150,000 listeners just heard his real name, so he's screwed. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, awesome. he's, so we're, he's Commander Cobra to, to us. Okay, so there you go. Anyways, um, how did you get interested in uh, Mothman? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that isn't uh, really much of an experiencer. And I, I maybe have seen a couple strange lights in the sky, but nothing uh, earth-shattering. And as far as I know, I, I haven't had any missing time. Uh, so yeah. I, I, my, my early interest was in, in uh, some of the great anthologies of Frank Edwards. Remember those? Uh, Stranger Than Science, uh, uh, oh, Strange yeah. World. And he, he would talk. That was my first introduction to things like uh, The Mothman. Uh, not, no, I take that back. That wasn't because the, it wasn't the Mothman wasn't around then. It was the Flatwoods Monster and the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins uh, were uh, some of the early ones I was introduced to. But then the, the big event was in uh, uh, March of 1966. I, I grew up in Michigan, uh, uh, just just around the Detroit area, and of course uh, that's where. Uh, these swamp gas sightings took place in, uh, you know, the the famous uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek when he was still attached to Project Blue Book, and this is the real Dr. Hynek, not the uh, the fictional one on TV, <laughs> and uh, he said that suggested that some of the sightings might be uh, swamp gas, and mm-hmm. then of course the press decided they were all swamp gas. But that same year, if you go to the next November, that was the first major sighting of the Mothman, even before that he had his own nickname. And uh, uh, it was some kind of a winged entity with red glowing eyes that chased these two couples down Route 62 out of what they call the TNT area, which is just north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And, uh, you know, that was that was in junior high then. So I didn't really have any wheels to go out and do do much in the way of investigating. But uh, that that really uh, what started me at my interest. Mm. Those two events. And I have to say, okay, I know nothing, nothing about Mothman. So I I want to hear all about Mothman. I want to hear where he came from. I want to hear. I want to hear everything. And I'm sure there's more people out there besides me. I mean, I've heard of Mothman, but I don't know anything about him. So, so you, well, want, you want to give us a breakdown, Steve? Well, yes, uh, and I, I can I can go on forever. So just just jump in any time. That's perfect. I <laughs> I, uh, I was a, a a fan of John Keel early on. And uh, he had uh, he, he didn't write the Mothman prophecies till almost ten years after the events. He couldn't uh, get a publisher, and after a while, frankly, he was he kind of lost interest in it. So when his publisher said, "Okay, it's time to write a book on the Mothman," he 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 pulled out his tattered briefcase and started putting the book together. Prior to that, he wrote uh, uh, Strange Creatures from Time and Space, which I think has been retitled to The Guide to Mysterious Beings. And the reason I bring that up is because that's where he first starts to talk about window areas, you know, trying to understand why these cryptids, these lights or whatever, seem to sort of pop in and pop out. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, good people see these things and report them, and then they're gone. And these different types of phenomena seem to congregate in this area. And then he wrote 
uh, Operation Trojan Horse, where he really pulls it all together and suggests that there isn't, you know, that it's all part of the same phenomena, the same source, and we can get into that later. But during this time, he would, uh, you would get some hints about his investigations into the the Mothman and some of the experiences he had there, because he really got wrapped up in it. If you've seen the film, uh, John Keel, when he was interviewed on Art Bell, uh, when the film came out, Keel said he liked the film. Uh, you know, they, they took certain liberties. Obviously, they updated it and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. But he said they really captured the 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 atmosphere, the paranoia that he felt when he was going through this stuff. So let me tell you, when the Mothman Prophecies book came out, man, I was ready. I was. Uh, it didn't sell well when it first came out, but I was there at the store and bought the one with the dust jacket on it, and I couldn't wait to read it. And then the following year was my first trip down to Point Pleasant because, you know, we've all read books. So you've books. actually been there then? Oh, sure. I actually, nowadays, I'm uh, part of the Mothman Festival, which occurs oh, every, awesome. third, uh, uh, week, every, every third weekend in September. And uh, I, I, uh, am, uh, I speak there usually. Uh, I'm the presenter these days. I help the guys, uh, John and Tim Frick, who are the guys that set up the Mothman. Uh, the, we fly the Mothman, or they fly the Mothman, in the TNT area where he was first seen. During they had these hayrides on Saturday night during the festival. Mm-hmm. So I'm also one of the uh, tour guides to 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 lead you through the dreaded TNT area, mm-hmm. and you'll have oh, a wow. guaranteed flyover of the Mothman. So I used Ooh. to be a happy happy go lucky attendee, and now I have been <laughs> absorbed. So, ah. but so the. Uh, Okay, so yes, go I ahead. want to get back to the the real the the events that happened first. I mean, we talking about John Keel and all that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but give us a, a sink uh, sink in history of the. That's not even a word. Uh, no, it's not. What it no, should it? be. Yes, it should be exactly. It's a Ronism. Anyways, uh-huh. uh, give us give us the events that happened. You know, the whole spiel of. Of uh, the chronological thing of, right. of uh, uh, it'll still be kind of a thumbnail because uh, uh, Brent Rains recently wrote a book on John Keel. Finally, mm-hmm. it, it was a great book. Brent Rains runs the uh, Alternate Perceptions online magazine, and, and uh, uh, John he, he did never met John Keel, but he corresponded with him and talked to him many times. Keel told Brent Rains that if he included all the events that occurred uh, in the uh, during that year from, uh, you know, the, the first major sighting was November 15th, 1966. The Silver Bridge collapsed 13 months to the day later. Hmm. But he said that it would have taken easily six books to fill out, to fill up, all, all fill in all the details. As it was, when they published the Mothman Prophecies, they cut out half his manuscript. But right. the, first, the first major sighting was uh, the Scarberries and the Mallets. Two couples. They were out in the the TNT area north of Point Pleasant. Was an area where uh, they developed uh, explosives, munitions for World War II, and they they would store them in these these concrete bunkers. They they call them igloos, and they uh, foliage. They had. Uh, uh, growth on them so that if the enemy ever flew over, got that far in, inland, they would look down and just see terrain. And uh, to this day, they, they still – it's a real creepy area. It's been uh, abandoned for years. It's, it's become the McClintic Wildlife Area. And that was where – now, what, what the uh, back in the 60s, uh, <clears throat> uh, romance would follow sometimes. People would go there to park oh. and, and – yes, and, and, so, and uh, 
Yes. Okay. That's enough. And so, but <laughs> but the Scarberries and the Mallets, they were two married couples, but they would, there was a, a uh, something they called chasing Parkers. And all that was is they'd pull up behind the unsuspecting lovers, turn on their headlights, and just <laughs> kind of freak them out a little bit. Yes. So <laughs> I, I'm wondering if, if there were some births that, that occurred uh, accidentally. Well, we won't go there. Uh, but anyway. <clears throat> uh, so they were just there having a good time and just uh, you know, just just uh, you know harassing friends and so forth, and then by the old North Power Plant. Now I saw this when I went down there in '77, and it has since been torn down, and it's it was a ruin. But it was that's where they saw this thing. It, it uh, they couldn't tell what it was at first. It was humanoid, but then they could tell it looked like it had wings. Uh, they saw that it had red glowing eyes. It didn't appear to be eye shine. It, appear, it appeared to be generating its own light. And uh, uh, it, uh, Linda Scarberry, who I was able to talk to before she passed on, uh, uh, said it looked like its wing was caught in the fence or something like that. But anyway, they saw this thing. They freaked out and they took off. So they uh, – and I know I, I can visualize this area. You, you go down the road and then you come out to the, the main road, which is uh, Route 62, and they went south back into town. This thing chased their car. Uh-oh. And at, at, at one point, they, I think they said they saw it, land, it landed on a billboard. And uh, they also saw a dead dog by the side of the road, which they had, didn't, didn't know if it was connected with this at all. But they, uh, uh, they actually uh, they went right to the police station. And Jeff Wamsley, who is the curator of the Mothman Museum and the co-founder of the Mothman Festival, has uh, – the, the museum is, is fantastic. If you guys can ever get down there, not necessarily the festival, which is great, but if you can get down there to see this museum, which is so well-crafted and so well put together, uh, it has all the original drawings and the handwritten uh, testimony. And recently – uh, surfaced, uh, I think it was Alan Greenfield, that uh, there's an uh, audio that surfaced of a, uh, a, a very early recording. You're familiar with Gray Barker? Uh, mm-hmm. The famous, uh, he, was, uh, he had uh, Sassarian Publications, West Virginia. Yep. Yes, and he was quite a character, quite a trickster. He would, uh, wasn't above, uh, you know, making up a few stories now and then. He wrote the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the first Men in Black book. Uh, they knew too much about flying saucers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's this, there's this interview with Gary Barker interviewing the two couples right after it happened. And when you listen to this, you, know, you wonder, does it sound – is it going to ring true? Because I've, I've heard – you know, uh, even Jeff Wamsley, who was actually Linda Scarberry's paper boy when he was growing up. Uh, by the way, Jeff Wamsley was six years old when the bridge collapsed, and he could hear the crash from his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's how personal this is. And uh, – so uh, I had no, you know, even he had not heard the voices of the uh, uh, Steve and Linda Mallet and uh, Roger Scarberry, and, yeah, Roger Scarberry, and it, it rings true. I mean, they're 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 finishing each other's sentences, and it doesn't sound like somebody that was asked a question and they had to make something up, you know. Okay. So uh, that was that was the big sighting. But then, uh, boy, it's really hard to summarize. But I, when John Keel first went down there, he, he in, in the book he makes a joke. He thought that people were seeing just some kind of a large bird, and he was going to catch it. You know, he said, "I'm going to." I oiled up my 14 oh. foot monster traps and went down to Point Pleasant. But then he, he before long, he found out that uh, things weren't making sense at all. Over that that year, he uh, interviewed a little over a hundred people that said they saw this thing, and generally wow. speaking. 
it was the, the same description, about six, seven feet tall, 10-foot wingspan, red glowing eyes, darker gray in color. Didn't really see a head. It was almost like a, the, the eyes were kind of sunken in, almost like a giant owl, but it really did, didn't fit the, uh, uh, the vision of, a, of an owl. That's one of that's one of the things that people say that the Wathman is. Though the critics say that it, it yes. was basically a bionomal, and, and a sandhill crane, yeah. and and right. yes, yeah. <laughs> but here's here's the thing: the 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 Mothman was truly a paradox because the people that saw it clearly, uh, about seven feet tall, about a ten foot wingspan, it doesn't work biologically. That kind of a oh, wingspan way. to 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 lift something like that. John Keel, that's crazy. Yeah, well, no. But that's also. Crazy. Even if it's a flesh and blood creature, the wingspan probably isn't big enough to lift, you know, a, a, a humanoid or a man-sized figure that tall. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a couple times, Keel got reports where it almost sounded like it was giving off a, uh, a like a, an engine or a humming noise. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there was one lady, uh, Mrs. Thomas, uh, one of the last sightings in the TNT area. She saw this thing walking very quickly. She said, almost like a robot. But in other t- other uh, cases, it's it sounded more like uh, an apparition. Uh, and, and sometimes it seemed like it was flesh and blood. It just didn't just didn't make any sense. And of course, all the other stuff that was going on at the same time, people were seeing strange lights in the sky. They were having uh, a very creepy. <laughs> individuals show up that would fit the classic uh, men in black motif mm-hmm. uh, so uh, and, and people were having uh, were, were having UFO sightings and they were also having outbreaks of poltergeist phenomena in their house mm-hmm. they were seeing uh, have, having you know the, the bedroom so-called bedroom invaders the apparitions and some of those looked like men in black uh, mm-hmm. so it was sort of a three-ring circus of the paranormal so and, when this was this was in the seventies. What's the time frame? No, this was this was uh, at, at the first again major sighting. There was one earlier in a cemetery, uh, some some distance away, but uh, this was started November fifteenth, nineteen sixty six. Oh, the, okay. And it didn't quite end, but but ended for the most part uh, November fifteenth. I'm sorry, December fifteenth, nineteen sixty seven. It, it huh. gets, yeah. It, it just, uh, just depending on which. Thread you want to follow. I mean, there was even another bridge collapse earlier in the in the century on the same day, December fifteenth, on the Elk over the Elk River, which is kind of upriver from the Ohio, I believe. It, it led you to, really uh, haven't and, introduced the bridge collapse, so you're kind of like, right? Yeah, the, yes, the so just, bridge just collapses are, are are throwing me. <laughs> I'm okay. like, what? Oh, so, okay. What bridges? Where? Right. Who? What? When? Where? So that's uh, <laughs> that's that's actually at at the, at the tail end of everything. Uh, oh, okay. When I mean, and a lot of people again, a lot of people were would have real close up sightings of this thing. They'd see it. Uh, stay, it, it sometimes it would take off like a helicopter, almost, mm-hmm. and and not flap its wings. What that? Mm-hmm. What kind of sense does that make? Uh, at, but. Uh, just to, to refer to the bridge uh, collapse, this is the Silver Bridge that uh, connects Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipolis, Ohio. And uh, it was one of these old suspension bridges built in 1920, and it was uh, well past its due date. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of heavy traffic. It was a major artery. And here it was December 15th. Uh, uh, a lot of Christmas traffic. It was rush hour traffic. It was a little bit after five o'clock. The sun was not quite down. About twenty-two degrees out, and that's when the thirteenth I-bar broke, and the bridge went down like uh, like a series of dominoes. I don't oh. know if you remember the film uh, 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 with Richard Gere. 
he has all kinds of time to uh, to to warn people about the bridge collapsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in reality, it took about thirty to forty seconds, and it right. was done. Yeah, it's just like ping, 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 ping. And so how is that make- as- how is that associated with the Mothman? Well, there are many people. It's just that it was sort of at the the end of a year of high strangeness. There are some people that believe Mothman was a harbinger. It was either uh-huh. uh, it it was like like a like a banshee. It warned uh, coming yeah. events. Some people firmly believed it or the evil behind it or or whatever caused the bridge. Other people, like me, suspect that it didn't really have anything to do with the bridge. It just happened at that same time. It just happened. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Now, that I, was actually that was actually a question we had in the chat room. Is, is somebody wanted to know if it was like a banshee? Uh, but uh, you kind of answered. The other question was uh, whether it was a what was the, what, the thread has kind of moved on. John, are you talking about John's question. Yeah, what was the second half? He, had of that? Two, he said, "Is is Mothman?" From a parallel world like Bigfoot or Loch Ness monster. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, that's the one. Yeah. And is that why no one can capture a live creature? Well, that that's a good question. I I don't know. Uh, that that kind of gets into John Keel. Uh, mm-hmm. John Keel wasn't sure that these things were uh, flesh and blood. They seem to be uh, real, at least temporarily real. He talked about uh, transmogrifications. I love that word of energy. Oh. He he believed that. Uh, uh, whatever this energy or force was, he, he sort of uh, used a literary device. He, he called it the super spectrum, something beyond which we are really aware of. But he, he felt that, uh, that uh, the only – he talked about uh, you know, how we see strange lights in the sky, and then we also see the, the uh, solid objects, whether they be UFOs or cryptids or whatever. He began to believe that the reality of this phenomena was possibly these meandering lights – and that they would transmogrify into whatever, depending on the individual viewing it. It might be a, a hairy, shambling biped wander off into the woods. It might be a giant triangle UFO or whatever. Now, he didn't think these were hallucinations. He thought they were they were probably at least temporarily physical. So, uh, and he that was just one of his ideas. He. Uh, uh, he was not he was not static in his thinking. You know, if you look at his articles over the decades, uh, he would he would propose all kinds of ideas. But uh, if if we talk about you know an interdimensional creature, we have to decide is it is it physical somehow and pops into another dimension and comes back, or does it sort of uh, you know phase in and phase out like I don't know quantum physics or something? Uh, I, I lean more towards something. More along the line, even, uh, you know, Carl Jung uh, talked about the collective unconscious, and uh, he wrote a book on UFOs trying to uh, come to grips with why people are seeing these things. Uh, have you guys ever seen the, the movie Forbidden Planet? Oh, yeah, uh, one of my favorites. I have okay. not. I'm sure Ron okay. has, yes. Absolutely, <laughs> one of the best scientific science Absolutely. fiction written, yeah. Well, remember the MacGuffin. They find yep. this, this, this uh, a, a long extinct race, very advanced race, and they, they decided they, – they discovered how to uh, create uh, a matter or energy out of thoughts. So, but what they forgot was 
the monsters from the id, that is ID, you know, uh, Sigmund right. Freud's deeper subconscious. Subconscious. Uh-huh. And so they destroyed themselves because of these phantoms or images or whatever that came out of their subconscious. And oh, I think geez. I think maybe Kiel was hinting at that a little bit, that some of these might be simply uh, – coming from us, so to speak. Oh. Right. And, and in the, in the previous show, we talked about that a little bit because of how we relate to different phenomena. You know, like, for instance, UFOs, we talked about, like, in the Bible, they thought they were gods or everything because that was their mindset at the time. And now we think they're alien spaceships because we're a high, highly technical race now. So it, it's kind of what we we create ourselves, what they really are. Well, lights in ancient times were, obviously, they were from dragons. They called them dragon tracks. Uh, Later on, they were fairy lights because they came from the little people. And sometimes the lights in the sky were, of course, they were witches flying on their brooms carrying their lanterns. And then later on, we have the, uh, sometimes the mysterious airships around the turn of the last century. Sometimes they would just see the lights in the sky. And then later on, we had the Foo Fighters. Perhaps, perhaps some of these, now, there's not, Keel didn't believe there was one answer for, and I don't either, just one answer for everything. But perhaps some of these are are just manifestations of the same phenomena, and we're just seeing the facade. But there's there's something Keel is so is is, is inseparable from the Mothman and his his investigations. He was uh, so ahead of his time, and he had these great catchphrases. Uh, one was uh, that great phonograph in the sky, because <laughs> people would be getting these messages. He, if you remember in the movie, uh, he's talking to Indrid Cold, this entity or whatever, on the telephone. Well, he was in contact with several people he called silent contactees. Because they firmly believed they were in contact with some other intelligence. And uh, they weren't the least bit interested in fame or fortune or whatever. They were following the edicts or the, the goals or whatever that these, in quotes, entities were sending them on. Right. And we uh, have to follow the uh, directions of the station, unfortunately, because we have right. to take a break. Uh, okay, yes. To Ghost Chronicles uh, Next Generation with the Blonde Bombshell and Kerrigan and Van Helsink, Ron Kolak, right here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio. And our special guest is Steve Wad. We'll be right back after the fall messages make our way back home and learn to fly we're still alive i know <laughs> foo fighters <laughs> anyway we are brought to you by circles of wisdom 386 merrick street and methuen massachusetts and also the gallant messier family law group we'll be right back Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. 
Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann and our special guest this evening, Steve Ward, and he's talking about Mothman. And I have a question. Yes. I have never heard the word transmogrify? Transmogrification. Mogrification. What is that? It just, it? It's, it's just where uh, uh, energy is being transformed into something solid or, or, or uh, solid matter or whatever. You ah, know, the other, other place okay. you'll hear it from, if you go back to the old Kelvin and Hobbes comic strip, uh-huh, when, Kelvin, when Kelvin would put on his, his spaceman spiff persona, yep. he, would, he would whip out his ray gun, which was a transmogrifier. Ah, yeah. that's so Kelvin, Kelvin and John Keel are the only two people I've ever heard talk about transmogrification of energy. That, 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 my favorite, favorite cartoon of all time. I have Calvin and Hobbes books. They're just, they were amazing. Yeah, they're um, great. But so, all right. Thank you for explaining that because I didn't know. I'm like, I have a general idea, but I just wanted to make sure. Okay. <laughs> that is what it it was. Um, and we also have a question from Stephen Scott in our chat room on Togi. And he said, is it possible that the Mothman was a sort of harbinger, but as a result of phenomena within the psyche or shared consciousness of the residents, potentially warning of the bridge collapse? Uh, any, anything is, is possible. I'm not. Uh, I, I, I tend. I, I tend to shy away a bit from the harbinger idea, but yeah. uh, others are very, very, uh, uh, very supportive of that. And I'm not. Uh, 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 you called me an expert on the Mothman, but you know there's so many. There's so much we don't know, and there are so many possibilities that mm-hmm. I, I would be it would be foolish to say no. That can't be the case. I just mm-hmm. I just think that Mothman was a paradox, and it would probably was not a flesh and blood creature. It was probably something else going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Keel, uh, I, I mentioned there's another sort of a catchphrase that he had, and he would say, uh, "Ask the contactee what they had for breakfast." Now, that wasn't literal, of course. It was, was ask the experiencer, find out, you know, per- people that were having, seeing the Mothman, seeing cryptids, having a UFO experience, or having missing time. Find right. out all about them. And he, he, was, he found that they were experiencing 
all kinds of things. Uh, uh, weird, uh, well, they, they would sometimes experience uh, hauntings, classic haunting phenomena in their house after they had a sighting, or maybe they had before. Uh, poltergeist phenomena. Sometimes they would get strange phone calls, strange voices on the, on the phone, electronic interference. Uh, they would see cryptids. And so I, uh, on my show, uh, The High Strangest Factor on the Paranormal UK Radio Network, uh, mm-hmm. I have I've interviewed a couple people that uh, had missing time. And one, one's a, a famous uh, a gentleman, uh, Alan Godfrey, uh, Todd Mord in England in 1980. And another uh, lady is not, not well known, but uh, Missy Lamontagne out of uh, New Hampshire. And when I, they, they had, uh, she, for example, uh, she and her husband were standing on the front porch. Uh, they saw these strange lights. All of a sudden, they're not standing next to each other, and they look up and they see this giant triangle brushing the tops of the trees. So it's later on they realize, my God, we lost a half hour. So she pursues that, but before she even gets there, she called me and t- talked to, wanted to talk about her experience. So I asked her questions that John Keel would have. I mm-hmm. found out that she was experiencing haunting phenomena. Both her sons were seeing orbs, uh, you know, floating outside the house and inside the house. Uh, she experienced a shadow person. Uh, and also, I, then I, finally I asked her, I said, you know, Missy, this is going to be a strange question, but uh, have you ever seen anything like a Bigfoot or whatever? And she said, well, no. And then she said, oh, wait a minute. My mother and sister-in-law on the same property, they saw a very strange-looking cryptid. It was sort of panther-like. But it was standing on two legs. Mm-hmm. So that the point is that Keel kept finding that people that were having one type of paranormal experience, if you ask the right questions, they were experiencing a, a plethora of phenomena. And a lot of researchers were mis- missing that. And so, the it's almost, with, sorry. so it's almost like they're a magnet for that? Well, it, well he, he thought that certain people were tuned in. That uh, so he would call it, they were tuned into the super spectrum, so to speak. Uh, and certain people had latent psychic abilities. Now, me, I don't have latent anything, so I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really one of these guys. I talk to people, and I've, I've had a couple minor experiences being in proximity with people mm-hmm. that have had experiences, but uh, I just don't, uh, I don't see things in the sky. I don't see cryptids. Mm-hmm. If you have a lost time. I hear you. No, as far as I know, I know I'm, I'm very absent-minded, but I don't think I've lost any time. <laughs> I lost an hour once. <laughs> really? Seriously? Yeah. My okay. husband's lost time. Yeah. yeah. So oh. it is a phenomena, but oh, oh, no, 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 no question, no question. Yeah. yeah. Who, who knows what it is, though? I mean, it, it, it's not necessarily uh, something. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not something supernatural or something. It's just maybe something that. Which I subconsciously. It could uh, be stress. If you want, uh, later on, we can. uh, uh, There's. I did talk to a survivor that went down on the Silver Bridge. uh, Oh, you did. Yes. Oh, Uh, why don't we talk about that then? That's. that's Okay. Well, so, uh, uh, how many people died in that the class? Uh, Forty-six people lost their lives, and and it was uh, you know uh, immediately the response was uh, uh, people in boats, barges, or whatever uh, immediately tried to you know save people, pull people out of the water because imagine what it's like. It's oh. it's twenty degrees. It's yeah. almost dark. It's it's December. It's absolutely frigid. You know, in in the Ohio River. Uh, I went uh, in. Uh, to the 50th anniversary, uh, 2016, of the bridge collapse. Uh, uh, it was uh, 
I'm sorry, 2017, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, they would have a memorial. And the the lady that started it a few years before, she has uh, since left us, uh, Carolyn Harris. She was one of the uh, co-founders of the Mothman Festival. She lost her little boy. Uh, on the bridge that that night yeah and that was uh but nevertheless she was a pillar of the community she would uh you know feed people for nothing people that needed it uh she was just an amazing lady and she started this remembrance ceremony and of the of the people that died and that that day a friend of mine i was down there with uh, a guy named john and we went uh we just by happenstance met Bill Edmondson in uh, one of the museums in town, the River Museum. And it turned out that, it, that uh, he was uh, uh, 88 years old, which means he was 38 when he was driving his truck across the bridge that night. He was coming mm. from the West Virginia side uh, to the Ohio side. He was taking some material used and making tires uh, to a Detroit uh, plant. And... Uh, he uh, just a, a really nice gentleman. And uh, he said, you know, all of a sudden he's driving across the bridge. And I don't know if I can describe this well, but if, if you imagine the, the, the span going across to the other side, it started to wobble back and forth just mm. just crazily. And it, it leaned so far that he had to uh, grab he grabbed the steering wheel. To, to prevent from, you know, but sliding all the way to the right. Uh-huh. And then everything gave way. The truck went down. He hit the water with such force that he was forced through the passenger window, right arm first. And so his right arm was just, was just uh, later on, he had a pin put in it. It was just, he uh-huh. couldn't use it. The good news is, when he went to the bottom of, of the river, uh, the good news is that he was able to get out right away. And the currents were actually pulling him up. Mm-hmm. The bad news is the curse of the 1960s pant cuffs because the, his pants were actually yeah. pulled down, dragging behind him. Uh. Some of the debris or the, or the truck or whatever caught them and started to pull him under again. Oh, no. So he, he was able, he told us he was able to, to wiggle free. He got, he floated to the surface. Imagine he's freezing and he's, he's able to, with his left arm, there's this uh, mass of material, but part of the material that he had been hauling had a slit in it. He put his left arm through it to stay buoyant. And he said, you know, that the things that happen when, when you experience this kind of a, a tragedy, he looks up and he sees a bird perched on top of this and they're just looking at each other. And he mm-hmm. figured this poor bird probably had her nest underneath the bridge and was just as as uh, befuddled as he was. Mm-hmm. A a tugboat captain saw him and uh, intercepted his flow downriver, and they pulled uh, Bill up out of the river just moments before he would have died of hypothermia. Oh my God, that's and of course amazing. they they rushed him to the hospital. <clears throat> Pardon me. You can see Whoops. his. Uh, there's an article on on. Uh, on him that's preserved in the Mothman Museum, oh. and it was such an, an honor and pleasure to be able to talk to this man who who survived, and he was there to pay, pay his respects to those that had perished in the bridge tragedy. So being a survivor of the bridge thing, what what is his thoughts about the Mothman? Did he believe there was an association between the two? You know, I we didn't really get into that too much. I, I think he was just uh, still very grateful and uh, – and kind of mystified, you know, you always say, 
why me? You know, why did I survive right. this crazy? Uh, and, and, and then there was one other thing he said. Uh, five years later, he was in a horrible accident driving a truck. He was trapped in the cab for three hours. Mm. And he said, oh. if I get out of this one, I'm never going to drive a truck again. And he never did. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> two strikes, you're done. You're done. Wow. But the uh, but there there also there there was just so many uh, there there was the the men in black phenomena uh, right the uh, uh, Mary Hire well there were so many there's just so much to tell you uh, Mary Hire who was the uh, uh, stringer for the Athens Messenger she became a good friend and colleague of John Keel and they would go out to a an area that I think we found if you go south of Point Pleasant down to uh, Gallipolis Ferry uh, there is a uh, uh, a hill there that uh, Keel talks about. He's not very specific about where it is, but they would. Uh, the, the TNT area, by the way, was just crazy, filled with people. They had their shotguns and everything. They were going to mm. bag themselves a Mothman. So that was one place <laughs> not not to be. So they went down to the much quieter area of the uh, uh, of the uh, you know, south of Point Pleasant, still in West Virginia, and uh, they would see. You know, these strange lights would be going over all the time. And uh, a couple times, Mary Heyer had these really strange characters come in, uh, kind of weird-looking skin, uh, staring eyes, uh, black clothing, and not, not maybe not dressed for the elements or whatever. And they would ask just crazy questions like, what's her relationship with John Keel? Uh, we think John Keel's making up this stuff. And uh, what, would, what would you do if somebody told you to stop investigating UFOs? And she said, well, I'd tell them to go to hell. And, uh, <laughs> but, but Keel would find a lot of these different... Uh, and, and also, the thing is that uh, Keel was, uh, was based out of New York. And uh, in the uh, Manhattan area and so forth, there was a lot of high strangers going on up there as well and other parts of the country. So it really wasn't just uh, isolated to the Ohio Valley or to Point Pleasant. And uh, um, boy, I'm just trying to think. Oh, OK. Let me give you another example of some some high strangeness. There's an area south of there called the Chief Cornstalk Hunting Grounds. In fact, you may have heard of Chief Cornstalk. He uh, supposedly, he was uh, in the 1700s, he was, a, uh, he was actually a peacemaker. And the, uh, he was, uh, the army, I guess, uh, uh, betrayed him. I don't know my history that well. But anyway, yeah. he, was, he was murdered. And allegedly, he uttered this curse. And some people think the Chief Cornstalk curse is what created all this stuff. Well, mm-hmm. it's, it's nonsense. Uh, Denny Bellamy, who's one of the uh, town fathers there, he, uh, they, they uncovered a uh, – they were tearing down an old schoolhouse. And uh, in, in one of the walls, they found an old play about Chief Cornstalk. And this whole thing was just made up. It was just artistic <laughs> license. You know, <laughs> if anybody had a right to, uh, to utter a curse, it was him, but it never mm-hmm. happened. But mm-hmm. – uh, but Keel would go down to this chief cornstalk area, which is still, if you, if you drive down to that area, there's just nothing there. And he would see the, he saw these purple lights going overhead. And they came down pretty close one time. These things actually looked like they may have been biological. They didn't look like solid craft at all. And uh, he, he noticed that looking down in one of the valleys, one of the hollers, uh, he could see the whole forest would be lit up kind of purple. And he asked one of the local farmers, he said, well, does that, has that happened before? And he says, well, yeah, it's happened. It does happen from time to time. One of my dogs ran into that and never came back. Mm-hmm. So 
you have an area saturated with with high strangeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, classic solid looking UFO is seen uh, over the ponds in the TNT area, uh, uh, and then you get some you know change some aberrations. Uh, Tom Urey, who is another one of the original witnesses, he did not see the Mothman. He saw something more like a giant Thunderbird fly overhead and come down toward his car. At the same oh. time, all this other stuff is going on. Kind of similar. It's similar, right. but it, it, it was, in yeah. fact, he thought initially, uh, he hadn't met any of the other witnesses until the, they, they did the film. And he thought initially that people were seeing what he did, but their imaginations took over. But once he talked to one of the original witnesses, Marcella Bennett, he just decided that they had seen different things. Marcella Bennett was one of the ones when uh, the, uh, the sightings first started, she and her brother went out to the... Uh, uh, I think another another family named Wamsley went out to their house, and they were at that house was actually in the TNT area, and they thought they were just going to go up there and maybe knock on their windows and scare them and, and pretend they were the Mothman. Well, they weren't home, so as they're walking back to the car, she's holding her infant child. This thing rises up out of the ground on her right. And she <laughs> freaks out. She falls. She falls momentarily on her infant child, which turns out to be just fine. But uh, and boy, by the way, at the same time. Her brother's trying to get her attention because there's some kind of strange light up in the sky. So that was another. This thing, she, you know, that she just saw it uh, didn't get a really good look at the detail. But this thing rose up out of the ground and its, its wings came up. And they ran back mm-hmm. in the house. And whatever this was started walking back and forth along the porch. So uh, it, it, if, if this thing transmogrified, it did a pretty good job and was real <laughs> at least for a while. Wow. So there's a big statue. There's a big Mothman statue in, yes, in Point uh, Pleasant, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, it, it's excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm just it, looking it was, at it. Uh, I think uh, Bob Roach is the guy that, that did it, and uh, Charles Humphrey is another town father. He he uh, yeah. Humphrey is is, is Humphrey's is. Uh, uh, he's the one that built the amphitheater there. If you look at the flood wall, they've got all these phenomenal scenes of uh, historical events. He's the one that commissioned the statue. And wow. uh, so much of it, he just transformed uh, Point Pleasant. And yes. uh, yeah, it's it says uh, Bob Roach. Right, Stop Bob Roach. There. And uh, and I, I, there's uh, I never I was not there. I wish I could have met John Keel if I was at the 2003 Mothman Festival. But he was there in his white suit, and they unveiled the the statue, and it was just just you know oh, wow. it was phenomenal. And, it's uh, really you, huge. <laughs> you're familiar with uh, CBS Sunday Morning. Uh, Bill yeah. Geist used to do a piece at the end, kind of a kind of a puff piece for the last six minutes or, or whatever. Well, he was down there interviewing everybody, and so he did a kind of a cute and clever. Uh, piece on the Mothman, where, and that's where you can see uh, uh, the uh, the statue being unveiled in a brief uh, interview with John Keel. So they have we a have Mothman a- festival yes. every yeah. year. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's phenomenal. They've been getting thousands of people there, yeah. oh, and and now we have like another I another question from yes. the chat room for you too. So, okay. um, you want to take it, Ann? Uh, let's see. Uh, Stephen said, uh, "Was there a comp?" physical side effect of encounter he, he can't remember he's read the books but he can't uh, remember physical side effects yes. physical side effect of encountering the mothman um 
Well, yes. Uh, you've heard of, of uh, uh, conjunctivitis or eyeburn, sometimes mm-hmm. in uh, close encounters with UFOs. Well, a young lady named Connie Carpenter was driving along by the Mason County Golf Course. She saw this thing. Uh, standing there, and it's one of these times when the thing just took off straight like a helicopter without flapping its wings. Later on, she developed conjunctivitis, and that's one of the first times Keel saw that happen with a cryptid witness. So mm-hmm. there was another person unidentified, a judge, that uh, went out on his porch one time and saw this thing standing there and then realized uh, after it took off, he lost, I can't remember, 10 or 20 minutes. So he had missing time just staring at this thing. So it wasn't, you know, uh, it was, was some kind of an effect. Other times people would, uh, oh, um, there was another, there was a Swedish researcher whose name I don't recall that followed John Keel in there and, and talked to many of the same witnesses and plus many more witnesses that are not mentioned in the Mothman prophecies. Almost every one of them experienced an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena after they saw the Mothman. Hmm. So that's, you know, the more you get into uh, Keel's research and the Mothman uh, and, and this kind of area, not just this area, the more you can't separate it. For me, you can't separate things anymore. They all seem, it's like Charles Fort said, of course, Charles Fort uh, wrote the Book of the Damned, and uh, he's the one that, could, that uh, pulled together all those uh, oddities from scientific journals and put them all together. Uh, but he said, you begin to measure a circle anywhere. Uh, Charles Fort thought that all this phenomena, I mean, he talked about, uh, what, f- uh, strange falls of fish from the sky, uh, red rains, uh, black rains, uh, strange floating lights, and so forth. Uh, in fact, John Keel considered himself a Fordian. He did not like to be called a ufologist. Mm. Well, kind of pigeonholes you in, right? I guess, yes. He definitely... Yeah was looking at the, at the whole spectrum. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm still, I'm not sure what the Mothman is now, after, even after talking with you for this hour. <laughs> well, actually, I'm not sure either, Ron. That's the problem. I, uh, it's, it's, I tell people, when I, when, I, when I speak on the Mothman, I say the Mothman's a paradox. There are there's some elements that make it seem like maybe flesh and blood. There are other, other elements where it's definitely would say, oh, it's got to be an apparition. Uh, but, uh, okay, you want to hear something else weird? Sure. Uh, okay, you've heard of the, the dog man, right? The, uh, the upright yep. canids, okay, and the type of footprints they leave. Just before anybody was really talking about this, John Keel found behind the old North Power Plant large dog-like footprints. And he said that whatever made them it had to be like uh, 300 pounds because of the way that pressed into the ground. I'm reasonably sure that Mothman didn't have big floppy dog-like feet and weigh 300 pounds and be able to fly. <laughs> he also, there was another really, really strange UFO sighting near Charleston, uh, Uh, West Virginia about the same time. Tad Jones saw this very bizarre-looking retro UFO with caster wheels and a propeller on the bottom. But anyway, in that area, Keel found more of these strange footprints. So he consulted with Ivan Sanderson. Now, Ivan Sanderson was the great uh, uh, British naturalist, transplanted to New Jersey, friend and colleague of John Keel. He's probably most famous for uh, the abominable snowman, Legend Come to Life, uh, wrote great books on UFOs. Uh, Sanderson confirmed, he said, yes, in, in these paranormal hotspots, we keep finding 
uh, these large dog-like footprints. Now, that's all the information we have, just that reference. Now, I, I talked to a gentleman at a Michigan MUFON meeting who was investigating Bigfoot and UFOs in Michigan. He said the same thing. We keep finding these large dog-like footprints in these areas. So I consulted with Linda Godfrey, who wrote The Beast of Bray Road and is into this sort of thing. And she said, uh, yes, they, they do, do, do keep finding these footprints. But she said, you have to be careful because there are hoaxers out there these days now that we know that these things, people are seeing these things. But my point is this. Four researchers, half a century apart, talk about finding these large dog-like footprints in paranormal hotspots. Mm-hmm. Now, what the hell does that tell us? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. But, it's, but, but John, the main thing about John Keel was he didn't go in. Uh, he did have pre- preconceived notions originally, like, like many of us, that these lights were extraterrestrial. But he listened to the people. He looked at the evidence, the, at least even anecdotal evidence, and he let that lead him to... Uh, through his research to come to conclusions and that's why that's why he started to believe that these things were all connected or came from a, a similar source hmm. okay wow <laughs> i know i've been all over the place here <laughs> i know very... like where are we <laughs> i already made, yes. I already made up my what? mind i already I know what the Wathman is <laughs> yep Made up my well, mind what the Mothman is. It seems like he wasn't around for a very long time, but well, that's the, I'm perpetual. glad you you mentioned that because uh, there are a lot of other winged creatures that are are seen, and people want to call it the Mothman, but it's really there was only one other sighting, which took place almost three years to the day earlier, three years and one day earlier in Kent, England, uh, some teenagers coming back from a dance saw a strange light in the sky land behind uh, a group of trees, and this thing came shuffling out. They, when, when Linda uh, Scarberry and the other people first saw it, it was kind of shuffling along by this fence. Well, that's what these, these kids saw. It looked like uh, sort of a headless creature with wings, kind of man-like, and was, came shuffling around. That's... Uh, Okay, uh, that, means, that means that means the uh, the demons are at the door, and it's time to wrap up the show. So, uh, but anyways, I'm going to give my pontification of what I believe the Earth Man is. After an hour of listening to Steve, I've determined under great thought that the Mothman is a fallen angel, that creature that had fell from heaven that is now reincarnated. Anyways, moving right along, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann Kerrigan and Ron Kolick. Our special guest tonight has been Stephen Watt. Steve, how can people uh, find out more about you? Well, I'm on Facebook. Uh, if you type in Steve Ward, if you type in Battle Creek, you might find the right Steve Ward. I'm on uh, Paranormal UK Radio, uh, the high strangeness factor. Uh, uh, heard every fortnight or every two weeks if you're a Yank and, and don't know what a fortnight is. I'm also, you can hear me as a correspondent on Mac Maloney's Military X-Files every week. And uh, I'm writing a book with uh, uh, Joy Medea called Parallels and Patterns, A New Paradigm for the Study of Paranormal Phenomena. Oh my goodness! And I really appreciate so you much. guys having me on tonight. Oh no, it was, oh, it, was great. it was great. Thank you so much because I've learned so much about Mothman and the whole the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And well, you're I, very I never knew any of it. 
<laughs> so how how long does it take you to get from New England to Point Pleasant? Uh, that, well, it's 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 right on the river there. I, for for me, it's southern it's Michigan. It's only six seven hours. Uh, huh. I just go just cut cut slice through Ohio and I'm there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but it's worth the trip, even if you you know want to you know rest your weary bones for one night and stop somewhere. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely worth the trip. And uh, if if wherever down there when I am, I will give you the grand tour of the TNT area go. and show you around. Well, awesome. thank you so much, Steve. And once again, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, three eighty six Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant and Messier Family Law Group on High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. And we were brought show oh, that we already did that. And you, well, I guess that's it. So good night and stay safe. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. All right. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.